Howdy everyone, Dr. Andy Woods here. I'm the pastor teacher here at Sugarland Bible Church. I'm back with my friend, colleague, fellow elder, associate pastor, Dr. Jim McGowan. Today is January the 26th, 2024. This is Pastor's Point of View, number 286. And boy, do we have an ambitious schedule today <laughs> as, we're, as, we're, as we're trying to keep people abreast of prophetic trends in our uh, uh, world. We're going to start with globalism, anti-Semitism, the two-state solution that looks like it's in the minds of these European uh, bureaucrats, diplomats, is going to be imposed on Israel. Mm, yeah, uh, Israel is set up for a major earthquake, just like the Bible says. Surprise. And I got some uh, apostasy update for you related to one of the most well-known preachers and evangelicalism a man named Alistair Begg so we'll yeah. we'll bring you up to speed on that and thrown into the mix is the whole border crisis so <laughs> brother Jim how do we get through all this in an hour I don't God know help I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to happen but here we go globalism and we start off with uh, the Bible as our entry point to discussing all of these things and notice uh, Daniel chapter 7 verse 23 We'll be reading out of the New American Standard 95 update, Daniel 7:23. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. So there's coming upon the world and you don't have to like the fact that it's coming, but the Bible says it's coming, you know, before Jesus returns in his second advent, the world will be pulled into uh, global governance, yes. the new world order, one world totalitarianism. And as you probably know, Brother Jim, the folks at Davos, the World <laughs> Economic Forum, um, have, have been meeting regularly. I think they just concluded their meeting there. And in, in what was it? Is that where they go? Switzerland? Uh, I believe that's right. Yeah. Where they go in on all of their uh, giant airplanes that pollute the environment and they have a great time skiing and plotting how to subjugate the rest, <laughs> rest of us. How's that, for, how's that for a cynical I, view I on things? I think that was dead on. Yeah, but here's this article from the uh, New York Post, um, and it says, WHO, that's the World Health Organization, calls for a world pandemic treaty to prepare uh, for the next deadly disease, hmm. which is going to be disease X. Yeah. And supposedly this is going to be worse than covid and so they've already got um, in line a treaty that they're trying to push everybody into. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, you know, once this disease hits, some uh, elite bureaucracy is going to, you know, tell you uh, when to put your mask on, how long to keep it on. Can you lower it as you take bites in your food? Can you go to church? Can you sing in church without a mask? And it's like, well, who elected these people to make decisions for us? Well, surprise. Um, <laughs> You signed a treaty where yes. uh, these unelected bureaucrats that you don't even know, you don't even vote for, are now imposing their will on you. Um, 
And so essentially we believe that this is pretext for global governance. Yeah, that's and, right. And so what does this article say? It's, it's just a uh, sort of a uh, expansion of what we've already had to deal with, isn't it? That's right. Here's the article, folks. World Health Organization Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus has called on, con on countries to sign on to the health organization's pandemic treaty so the world can prepare for disease X. He goes on to say, speaking in front of an audience at the World Economic Forum in Davros on Wednesday, that he hoped countries would reach a pandemic agreement by May to address this common enemy. Disease X is a hypothetical placeholder virus that has not yet been formed. But scientists say it could be 20 times deadlier than COVID-19. It was added to the WHO's short list of pathogens for research in 2017. That could cause a serious international epidemic, according to a 2022 WHO press release. He went on to say that COVID-19 was the first disease X, but it's important to prepare for another pandemic. World leaders met in March 2021 to announce that a treaty was being negotiated and drafted. Quoting now, the main goal of this treaty would be to foster an all-of-government and all-of-society approach, strengthening national, regional, and global capacities and resili resilience to future pandemics, close quote. A statement put out by two dozen heads of states. Quoting again, this includes greatly enhancing international cooperation to improve, for example, alert systems, data sharing, research and local, regional and global production and distribution of medical and public health countermeasures such as vaccines, medicines, diagnostics and personal protective equipment, close quote. GOP critics have said that such an agreement would cede sovereignty to the WHO, quoting, the World Health Organization pandemic treaty is very vague. It affects our sovereignty, and it could be exploited to tell Americans what kind of health care they need in the event of a global pandemic, close quote. And that's from Representative Tim Burchett, representative of Tennessee. So this is for your own good and protection. You know, yeah. we need this treaty. But you have this conservative voice that speaks up here at the end of this article and says, you know, this is the end of national sovereignty. Mm. Uh, so you're, you're really not governed by the people you elect. You're governed by these, you know, kind of international, nameless and faceless bureaucrats. Exactly. And to my mind, that's the real virus. If you want to be worried about a virus, I would worry about the end of your sovereignty. <laughs> yes. uh, that to me is the real danger we should be a, uh, aware of. But this is all pretext, we believe, prophetically. Uh, for what the scripture says concerning right. the end of the age. And now is this um, Davos group is meeting. We have this article from the Epoch Times. They're, they're, they're talking about something. Let me rephrase that. They're talking about someone. <laughs> There's someone that makes them really nervous. And, and this is true. <laughs> and here's this title of this article. Davos elite see potential return of Trump uh -oh. as a threat to the global order. So that's, he's the topic of discussion 
particularly since he did so well in the Iowa uh, primary yeah, caucus. Right. So what's going on here? A major news item from across the Atlantic stole the spotlight at this year's annual summit in Davos, Switzerland, where the world's wealthiest and most powerful people gathered to address global challenges. Former President Donald Trump's record-setting victory in Iowa on January 15th became the talk of the town at the World Economic Forum in the Alpine Ski Village. According to some observers, the question of his potential return to the White House dominated conversations at dinners and parties throughout the summit, overshadowing even the most pressing global issues. Thousands of global elites, including CEOs, bankers, and policymakers, gathered in Davos for the 54th annual WEF meeting from January 15th to 19th. Among the attendees, European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde was openly critical of the former president, quoting, We are all concerned about it because the United States is the largest economy, the largest defense country in the world, and has been a beacon of democracy with all its ups, upside and downside, close quote. She said this when asked about the upcoming U.S. election during an interview with Bloomberg on January 17th. And another quote, we have to be extremely attentive, Mrs. Lagarde, who served as the head of the International Monetary Fund, described President Trump as a clear threat to Europe during a recent interview with France, too, because of his stance on tariffs, NATO, and climate change. So the bottom line is we want a new world order and Donald Trump uh, has a tendency to put America <laughs> above the new world order. Yeah, imagine so, that. So the fact that he did well in Iowa and did well in New Hampshire in the primary and our globalist candidates that we had set up to stop him weren't able to do that, yeah. you know, we're, we're worried about it. So I guess in between, you know ski expeditions and so forth they they have trump on the on the brain <clears throat> yes. um and i think this is very interesting because if they're that upset about trump i mean i don't know how you feel about it i'm assuming you feel the same way i feel about it that that's kind of a hint who we ought to you know maybe <laughs> you know support and maybe reconsider and huh? reconsider and we have um all of these right now uh kind of disenfranchised ron DeSantis people you know, personally, I like Ron DeSantis. Yeah. I think he was very good, is very good as the governor of Florida. But the truth of the matter is uh, he lost. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Outside of Florida, there wasn't a lot of interest in him. And he campaigned on the fact that I campaigned personally in all 99 counties in Iowa. And guess what, Brother Jim? He didn't win a single county. He lost every single county. And he correctly, and that was supposed to be his strong state, he correctly bowed out. Mm -hmm. So now we have all of these uh, kind of DeSantis influ influencers who are got their feelings hurt, <laughs> got their panties in a wad, you know, okay. <laughs> so to speak, if I can use that expression. And so they're just going to say, well, we're just going to sit out the uh, general election. You know? Yeah, that we'll, makes sense. We'll never, we're never going to vote for Trump, which, which means you just <laughs> hand votes over to Biden. Exactly. And so I would encourage, and I've been there. I was a big Ted Cruz guy in 2016, and I didn't really like how Trump mowed over, you know, Ted Cruz. And I didn't like the things he said about Ted Cruz's wife and things. And I held on to some grudges and bitterness. But at the same time, you got to put the good of the country at some point.
over your personal animosity, you know, towards an individual. So I would encourage all of these uh, disenfranchised DeSantis influencers to sort of put the big boy pants on and, uh, you know, do what's right, you know, for the nation. Yeah. And this also kind of shows me that a lot of people think Trump is, you know, in on the one world conspiracy and, Mm -hmm. and all of these kinds of things. He's part of the Illuminati well, why are the is the deep state attacking him at every level? Right, uh, and and why are they gathering in Davos concerned about his return to the presidency yeah. if he's part of the cabal? Yeah. So exactly. I just submit a few of those things to people, you know, for their own uh, uh, edification. Now, on the subject of globalism, we have this uh, statue. If we can put that up, uh, Daniel chapter two which basically talks about when you get to the toes, the feet mixed with iron and clay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, it's talking about their uh, kind of a revived uh, revived Roman Empire arising out of the legs. Mm -hmm. And I know this is going to be deeply profound for a lot of folks, (laughs) Brother Jim, but the feet are connected to the legs, right? And, um, and that's important. <laughs> it's important because if the legs represent ancient Rome, east and western divisions, which we believe they do, we believe that this new world order sort of rises out of the cultural inheritance of ancient Rome. And it, it yeah. forms this sort of 10 king, 10 region confederacy that ultimately will be controlled by the Antichrist. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And that will ultimately be be overthrown by Jesus himself. So it's very interesting to me, Brother Jim, to notice that these elites in Europe want a European Union army. Mm. They keep calling for this. Yes, um, yes. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's they're not interested in the individual European states having their own military. We need like a regional army. Yeah. And that fits prophetically with what I just tried to explain. Oh, so here's this article from, uh, let's see, this one comes from GBNnews.com. And all of these are very recent articles. This one, January 10th, EU army plans unveiled by senior Eurocrat. Mm as he touts spending billions of euros on a defense fund. Help us with that article. A senior EU Eurocrat has said he wants billions of euros going towards the EU defense fund. Internal Market Commissioner Terry Breton is set to present the European Defense Investment Program on February 27. EDIP, a cash pot, aimed at boosting joint weapons procurement, has been described by some Eurosceptics as being an EU army. He said the bill for the EDIP could reach an eye-watering 100 billion euros. At an event hosted by the liberal Renew Europe group, Breton said, quote, I believe we have to have a huge defense fund to help to accelerate even probably in the amount of 100 billion euros. And if you put up the next article, you have the Italian foreign minister calling for the exact same thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind where Italy is. Italy is Rome, yeah. okay, where Rome <laughs> yes. is. And yes. we, for reasons we're going to explain a little bit later, we believe in sort of a Eurocentric antichrist yeah. ari- arising really from ancient Rome. And you have this Italian foreign minister. How do you pronounce his name there? 
Antonio Tajani. Yeah, excellent pronunciation. And he's, uh, I don't know if we have time to read the whole article, but he's calling for the exact same thing. So, you know, this would be like taking the United States, Canada, and Mexico, yeah. okay, regionalizing them, mm -hmm. and having one army, you know, between, you know, that, that all three nations would share because we're now part of a region. Right. I mean, this is literally what's going on in Europe. This is what they talk about all the time, mm -hmm. other than what are we going to do about Trump? And the <laughs> fact that <laughs> these are even issues today, it shows you the time period that we're living in. Yeah. You know, we're aggressively moving into this sort of global suprastructure. Right which the Bible anticipates for the end of the age. Am I missing anything? No, I don't think so. And of course, we've, we've had programs in the past where we've talked about this uh, division and regionalization of the world, haven't we? Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that's being broken down as we move into this globalism is uh, what we would call the um, divine institutions. Mm, yes. uh, maybe we could put those up for a minute. There are certain things that the Creator has built into the fabric of fallen creation to yes, sustain indeed. fallen creation in spite of its fallenness. These are all in early Genesis, conscience, marriage and family, labor, government. And the last one there is nationalism. Mm -hmm. You know, God is not in favor of, just look at the Tower of Babel story, New World Order. He's in favor of the individual nation state. That's, That's right. the best way to keep man's sin nature in check and so god is in favor of nations these people at davos are not in favor of these things yeah. and Can so I interject absolutely quickly? absolutely i just want to point this out because you always say this that you know if you look at these divine institutions we have listed here this is the reason why they want to get rid of the book of genesis yeah, that's right so just keep that in mind yeah with if the foundations be destroyed what can the righteous do yeah and if we can put up the chart that says, uh, or the list that says the sine qua non of nationhood, you know, what do you have to have for a nation? You have to have at least four things, common currency, common language, right. common culture. And then the last one there is enforceable borders. Oops. <laughs> if you can't, you know, control your own borders and you have no idea who's coming across, you don't have a nation. It's like me as the head of my household. You know, I have no control, let's pretend hypothetically, of who comes into my house. Yeah. Um, well, that means I'm really not the head of my household anymore. That's true. And so so what you'll notice as we move into this globalism is all of these are under, under attack, mm. um, not the least of which is the Supreme Court ruling that was just handed down. Here's an article from the postmillennial.com, and it says, Breaking. Supreme Court rules Biden border agents can remove Texas border barriers. Wow. And this was a recent five to four ruling. What's going on here? The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Border Patrol agents are allowed to remove razor wire that was installed by Texas. As reported by NBC News, a five to four decision allowed the agents to go forward with what has been a month's months long legal slog between the Texas government and the Biden administration. So here's the state of Texas, and we're proud Texans here, yes, wants to uh, protect itself literally from an invasion. That's the only way to describe what's happening That's in exactly our border. Right. And the federal government says, no, you can't do that. And the Supreme Court steps in in a five to four ruling just a few days ago and puts handcuffs on the state of Texas. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, in terms of enforcing its own border. And, and what do you call that? You call it an attack on a divine institution. Amen. Uh, pre Texas preventing itself from actually being an autonomous state. Mm -hmm. Now, when you study our Constitution, um, it's very clear that our founding fathers wanted power to rest primarily with the states. Right. Because that was um, the, the layer of government closest to the people. So the federal government was supposed to have limited power and the states were supposed to have most of the power. In fact, we see that in Federalist Paper number 45, authored by James Madison. The Federalist Papers were originally uh, published in the New York newspapers to convince the citizens of New York to ratify the Constitution. So yeah. they're a... They're a, a, a tremendous source of information for us, you know, in terms of what our founding fathers intended. Remind yes. us what James Madison said in Federalist Paper number 45. All right. Here's what it says. The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. So feds, they're not supposed to become Fedzilla. Exactly. Uh, their powers are supposed to be, what does he say here, narrow mm -hmm. and defined. Yeah. The state powers are supposed to be numerous and indefinite. Obviously, over the course of time, this has been flipped on its head. Totally. Where now the state is trying to, our state is trying to do something normal. Yeah. And the feds say, no, you can't do that. Um, partly because... <laughs> I can just be crass about it. We have a Democrat, you know, who's in charge and he thinks that he can uh, bring a bunch of people across the border illegally and he'll vote. They'll vote for him in the next election cycle. I mean, that's about as simple as I can I can make it. And so he wants all of these illegals to come across and uh, for political purposes. And the state of Texas says no. And here comes the federal Supreme Court siding with the feds against the state of Texas. Yeah. Uh, exactly contrary to what our founding fathers intended. Now, this story continues. Let's put up the Governor Abbott. I believe this is an executive order. Hot off the press, January 24th, 2024. It's, it's wonderful to read through this whole thing, but notice how Governor Abbott has reacted to the Supreme Court opinion. Would you mind reading just that last paragraph there? All right, here's what it says. The failure of the Biden administration to fulfill the duties imposed by Article 4, Section 4 has triggered Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which reserves to this state the right of self-defense. For these reasons, I have already declared an invasion under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 to invoke Texas's constitutional authority to defend and protect itself. That authority is the supreme law of the land and supersedes any federal statutes to the contrary. The Texas National Guard the Texas Department of Public Safety, and other Texas personnel are acting on that authority as well as state law to secure the Texas border. God bless yeah. Governor Abbott. Yeah, and, and what we say here at Pastor's Point of View is Governor Abbott, you know, thumbs up. We're behind you 110%. Absolutely. 
I mean, the the federal government has no right to to come in. Uh, you know, first of all, they're they're not enforcing the laws. Not at all. Texas says we have to do it. The Supreme Court sides with the feds instead of the state government, and Abbott basically is saying, "I'm disobeying the Supreme Court order." Mm-hmm. And I guess th- my point in bringing all of this stuff up is it shows us the push into globalism. Right. Globalism is anti-borders. And the fact that all of these issues that we've mentioned here, whether it be the European Union standing army, whether it be the conversation at Davos concerning Trump, whether it be the uh, virus treaty that they want to put us under, um, God said this day would arise where the tension between globalism and nationalism would reach a fever pitch. And I think, Brother Jim, yeah. we're, we're, that's where we are right now. I, I agree with you. And, and I, can I just add Abs- Absolutely. You know, to me, one of the things that people are missing, I think, with regards to this open border policy that Biden has, is that this influx of, of immigrants is ultimately designed to overwhelm the ability of the United States to even care for its own people. Yeah. And so you create an environment where you have to have a global solution. Yeah. That's part of what's happening yeah. here. Global crisis involves global crisis. A, a global solution. Yeah. Well, with that being said, let's move to our second major bullet point, which is anti-Semitism. And it's really related to globalism yeah. because what are these globalists doing with their newfound power? Well, they're turning against the Jewish people. They are. And that in and of itself is prophetically significant. Sure is. Because what does Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 3 say? Zechariah 12, 3. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. And all who lift it will be severely injured. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. It will come about. That's what it says. Not it might. Nope. The nations would turn against the nation of Israel. Uh, you have a similar prediction in Zechariah 14.2. What does that say? Zechariah 14.2. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured. The houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. So is this happening? Are the global powers of the earth sure looks like turning it. against a reborn nation of Israel? Yeah. Uh, I, I would say that that's exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. In fact, look at this article here. This one comes from the Jerusalem Post and it deals with the International Court of Justice, which is a laughable uh, title that they've given to themselves. It's mm. it's an extension of the United Nations. And it says the International Court of Justice, this is an opinion piece in the Jerusalem Post, January 12th, is illegitimate, but it is an existential, existential excuse me, threat to Israel. What's yeah. happening here? South Africa, a country in which Jew hatred is rampant, filed a petition with the International Court of Justice spuriously alleging of all things that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza. The same Gaza whose Arab population has grown by the hundreds of thousands since Israel forcibly evicted every last Jewish person in 2005. 
This petition, which seeks to restrain Israel's right to defend its civilian population from genocidal attacks like those of October 7, is the very essence of lawfare, the abuse of the law as a weapon of war. The ICJ's bias is on full display instead of focusing on the atrocities uh, perpetrated by Hamas and its supporters. The ICJ chooses to treat Hamas as a potential victim. The court's basic disregard of Israel's well-established right under international law to defend itself from attack shows a disqualifying level of bias. And then there's a last And one last there. paragraph yeah. here. The UN and its organs are no longer legitimate and allowing this self-appointed world court to exercise legal authority over Israel is an existential threat not just to Israel and the Jewish people, but to everyone who values justice, democracy, and the sovereign rights of the world's nations to protect their citizens from genocidal atrocities. So just to get the picture straight here, mm. Israel is attacked from Gaza October the 7th, largely by Hamas, from an area that the Israelis gave back to the Gazans to them, yeah. in 2005. Yeah. They took over that area. They had one and only election. They elected Hamas, and they've used that as a beachhead to yeah. launch terrorist mm -hmm. attacks in Israel. Right. Israel just had what, for us, would be our 9-11 mm -hmm. in yeah. terms of per capita of deaths. That's true. And Israel goes into Gaza to try to root out terrorism in Gaza. And South Africa mm -hmm. files a, a lawsuit or a complaint, or how, however it's phrased here, with the uh, International Court of Justice claiming that Israel is committing genocide. So Israel's attack suffers 9-11 in terms of per capita deaths, and yet it, and Israel defends itself, so she's causing the genocide. Right. And by the way, I don't know if South Africa really has any moral high ground to comment on the issue, because that's that was considered for a long time to be an apartheid apartheid state. A long time. And beyond that, it's filled with Jew haters. That's true. And the International Court of Justice sides with South Africa. Mm -hmm. So... I feel like I'm living in a cartoon world, Brother yeah. Jim, half yeah. the time, where things, all these things are happening that don't make any sense, yet it makes sense from God's standpoint, because God said the world <laughs> would turn against Israel. He did. You know, in an, in an unfair way. Um, it's even affecting soccer games, you know. Here's this article from um, click Two. Houston.com, this is an Israeli soccer player, re returns to a warm welcome in Israel following a detention in Turkey. Associated Press, January the 15th, 2024. What did this uh, Israeli soccer, field, soccer player do that was so bad, you know, that they had to detain him in Turkey? Yeah. Israeli soccer player Sagiv Jehezkel returned to Israel on Monday evening to a cheering crowd hours after he was briefly detained in Turkey for allegedly inciting hatred after he expressed solidarity with hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza during a top-flight league game. He had been detained for questioning late Sunday after he displayed a bandage on his wrist with the words, 
100 days 7.10 in reference to October 7th, the day Hamas attacked Israel and the hostages were abducted next to a star of David. Justice Minister Yilmaz Tunk said late Sunday that he was under investigation for, quote, openly inciting the public to hatred and hostility. Tunk tweeted that he had engaged in an ugly gesture in support of the Israeli massacre in Gaza, close quote. The gesture was deemed to be provocative in Turkey, where there is widespread public opposition to Israel's military actions in Gaza and overwhelming support for the Palestinians. Israel Foreign Minister Israel Katz, quoting, whoever arrests a football player for a show of solidarity with 136 captives who are more than 100 days with the terrorists of a murderous terrorist organization represents a culture of murder and hate, he said. And then Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant called uh, uh, Jehezekel's detention scandalous and quoting, in its actions, Turkey serves as Hamas's executive arms, he treated. So here's a soccer player, Israeli soccer player in Turkey. He threw a symbol. What was he wearing it on his wrist? A bandage. Um, Demonstrates solidarity with the hostages that are still hostages right now, you know, even as I speak. And Turkey detains him and accuses him of wide, uh, what does it say here? Uh, An ugly gesture. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, There's a phrase I'm looking for. Um, uh, He's under investigation for openly inciting the public to hatred and hostility. Yeah. Because he demonstrates public solidarity you know, with the hostages in Gaza, and Gaza, which are still hostages. Um, it was provocative. Yeah, he's provoking people. Um, and the guy goes on in this article and he says, I'm not a political person at all, but I do yes. have strong feelings, you know, yes. about this hostage situation. And so he gets, he gets incarcerated yeah. temporarily for that. Not a big surprise because if you look at our map here of Gog Magog, one of the nations that will invade the nation of Israel uh, in the last days is Turkey. Right. Um, my little book, The Middle East Meltdown, uh, will give you some documentation on that if you're interested. So tension between Turkey and Israel shouldn't be a big surprise. No. Uh, sad to watch, but God said this day would come. But the, the general world would be filled with this sort of irrational hatred for the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the point where, here's an article from uh, tabletmag.com, January 15th, and it's talking about the return of the swastika. Oh, yeah. What's going on here? Answers were not easy to come by, but the swastika epidemic of 1959 and 60 petered out after a time. And the anti-Semitism it represented became relatively uh, quiescent for a while. It was revived in our own day and energetically so. Swastikas are are back and the hatred they symbolize is more vocal, more visual, and more pervasive than it has been for decades. Especially since Hamas's massacre of Israelis on October 7th. Jew hatred, often in the form of Israel Israel hatred, 
is vociferously and unapologetically on display on college campuses in large street demonstrations, on social media, and in segments of America's political and cultural life. The, quote, exhilaration that a Cornell University professor expressed in the, in, in the uh, immediate aftermath of Hamas's butchery of Jews is symptomatic of a, le- of a larger euphoria brought on by that pogrom. Now, here's um, a Cornell University professor yeah. in the wake of what happened to Israel October 7th using the expression of, of his exhilaration. Yeah. Now, that's a very sick and twisted individual. Yeah. Um, he shouldn't be teaching anything, no, you know, in my opinion. He should no. be removed from his position. Yeah. But this is the mindset on these universities, and now they're having all of these you know, parades and protests, yeah. and the swastika is now in vogue again. Yeah. Uh, can you pick it up here? Yes. One sign of the emotional high triggered by this hatred is the reappearance of swastikas in addition to swastika graffiti and a range of anti-Jewish hate messages appearing in public places in New York City and elsewhere, the Nazi symbol frequently shows up in anti-Israel street protests, sometimes in novel ways. Examples include people in crowds holding up cell phones whose screens show large swastikas. More elaborate are handmade posters featuring a large swastika pointing to the words Israel, military, equal, Nazi, or signs with blood-stained swastikas intertwined with the Star of David, or or large swastikas supplanting the Star of David in the middle of refashioned Israeli flags. Uh, In still another perversion of this same visual ploy, American flags have been redone to show the stars replaced by swastikas and free Palestine inscribed between the stripes. And as this is going on, there's a lot of other symbols coming back. Uh, Hitler was right. Gas the Jews. Uh, Israelis are Nazis. Uh, Then it says, add the formulaic denunciations of Israel as racist, apartheid, colonial, genocidal. And you throw in the return of the swastika, which kind of petered out, the article says, in 1959 to 1960. And you sort of see what God says would happen at the end of the age. The the world, you know, would turn against Israel. We've talked about these swastikas appearing in France Yes, but, now it, yes. but now it's talking about them, you know, in many other places as well. And as all of this is going on, we have this uh, particular article from JNS.org, January 15th. Outright Jew hatred and support for terrorists on display during a march for Gaza in Washington, D.C. And this is a recent uh, march that took place uh, for, I think, four hours, yeah. January the 13th. What happened here? Speakers at a March for Gaza in Washington on January 13 promised that Israel would cease to exist <laughs> and to the cheers of thousands of attendees. Osama Abu Shaid, executive director of American Muslims for Palestine, and the final speaker of the nearly four-hour event promised that, that Palestine would be victorious 
And he goes on to say that the march, which ran about three hours and 45 minutes in Freedom Plaza, a couple of blocks southeast of the White House, drew tens of thousands of participants. And we'll have to just interrupt you there for the sake of time. Sure. But this is the kind of thing that is happening. They're marching. They're yeah. right near the White House. They're saying things like from the river to the sea, the yeah. land of Palestine will be free. And you throw into that a bunch of Nazi swastika imagery. Yep. And, um, you know, you have a, yeah. a situation that God says would resurge in the last days. That's right. And they're going into the schools with this. Mm -hmm. Notice this article from the JewishJournal.com, January 17th. Vermont School District class features a unit discussing Palestinian social movements. Course wow. materials include multiple falsehoods about mm -hmm. Israel. What's happening here? A class focusing on social movements and protests at a Vermont school district has a unit discussing Palestinian social movements. According to documents obtained by the grassroots organization Parents Defending Education, or PDE, via Freedom of Information Act, the course titled U.S. and the Modern World, Social Movements and Protests, is an elective for juniors and seniors at the Champlain uh, Valley School District in Shelburne, Vermont, and one of the units in the course, quote, is spent discussing Palestinian social movements against Israel, per PDE, quoting, the unit begins with a video detailing the history of Palestinian uprisings against Israel and declares, until Israel ends its occupation, we will continue to see Palestinians struggle for their rights on our screens. The PDE, the PDE states on its website. The video titled Brief Animated History of Palestine states among other things that Israel claimed much more of Palestine than the 1947 United Nations partition allocated after declaring independence in 1948 and more than half of the Palestinians were expelled from or fled their homes and ended up in refugee camps in the West Bank Gaza and neighboring countries, close quote. Quoting again, Palestinians refer to this as the Nakba or catastrophe, the video adds. The video does not mention that the Jews in what was then mandatory Palestine actually accepted the partition plan, but the Arabs did not and instead launched a war against the newly established state of Israel. So you got your kids enrolled in this um, Vermont school district and they're forced to watch this video in the compulsory educational system and it's totally one-sided yes. against Israel yes. and it doesn't even have the facts straight and um, a complaint is made. Actually, there's two updates to this. A complaint is made first to the teacher, then to the principal, and they kind of get working their way up through the bureaucracy. Gosh, can we have an even-handed approach to this uh, presentation? Yeah, imagine that. And the school district just comes back with language of inclusion and equity. That, yeah, that's exactly. basically their, yeah. their answer. And so you have this whole generation arising. And remember what Abraham Lincoln said. He said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next generation. You have this whole generation mm. arising that thinks Israel is causing all the problems over there. And they're, in fact, the occupier. And they're not even allowed to hear a different, you know, more balanced uh, perspective on a controversial issue. God help us.
And it's just kind of a, a sad time that we're in, but what did Zechariah say? This will happen. He said it will happen. The nations will turn against Israel. Anything you want to add there? No, I just, uh, I just think it's mind-boggling as we see all this happening. Yeah, so these globalists, what are they doing with their power? They're coming against Israel. Yeah. Here's something else they're doing, Brother Jim. They're pushing Israel, whether they want it or not, yeah. into the so-called two-state solution. That takes us to our third bullet point. Force-feeding. Force-feeding. And, mm-hmm. and when you look at these two maps, uh, we see here what the two-state solution is. It's the so-called West Bank and the international community wants Israel to give the West Bank back to the Palestinians. Uh, We don't like the expression West Bank. You look at our second map here, the Bible calls that area Judea and Samaria. But if you give that up, it takes the width of Israel to less than 10 miles, which basically puts her in an indefensible position. Right. I mean, they want Israel to go back to these 1967 borders, despite the fact that she's surrounded by a sea of Islamic theocracies that are perpetually threatening to drive her, you know, into the Mediterranean Sea. Committed to it. Yes. And if Israel won't accept this, then um, this has to be forced on her. Yes, right. Now, we think this is prophetically significant because of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Can you remind us what that says? Yes, sir. Daniel 9, 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. And we have Daniel 9.27 portrayed in graphic form. Um, We can see from this graph here that the event that will start the tribulation period, Mm -hmm. post-rapture, we believe, will be a a agreement of some kind, a treaty. I think there's language to the effect that's that's used there that it's forced, mm-hmm. okay, where Israel is going to be forced into yeah. this covenant. Yeah. And what would force Israel into this covenant better than her being forced into an indefensible position where her width is reduced to less than 10 miles because yeah. she's been coerced into giving up territory that she won in a war of self-defense, fair and square, mm-hmm. in uh, 1967. So we think that this so-called two-state solution is pushing us very fast into the end times because it's pushing Israel into a position where she has to reach out to the Antichrist for this uh, this agreement. And beyond that, it's going to trigger the wrath of God because Joel 3 verse 2, we don't have a screenshot of that verse today, but... That verse indicates that the moment his land, and that's his land, mm-hmm. is divided is the moment he brings his judgment on the yeah. nation. So all of this talk of a two-state solution is actually far bigger of a deal than most Christians um, are aware of. Mm. And so in Europe, they're talking about this two-state solution with the language of force. Yes. And here's this article, January 19th, timesofisrael.com. It says, uh, concerning the European Union's top diplomat, Palestinian state may need to be imposed on Israel from outside. What's this article say? 
European Union foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell said on Friday that the only peaceful solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict included the creation of a Palestinian state. And he suggested this might need to, quote, be imposed from the outside without Israel's agreement. Wow. Borrell, in a speech at the University of Valladolid in Spain, said that without international intervention, wow, he goes on to say, if everyone is in favor of this solution, the international community will have to impose it. Now, this is interesting because we believe in a Eurocentric Antichrist. Yeah. And the reason we believe that is, as we said earlier, what starts the tribulation period after the rapture will be a peace treaty or a, a treaty of some kind between yeah. the Antichrist and unbelieving Israel. And it calls the Antichrist there he. And if you back up into verse 26, the verse that comes right before, you see that Titus of Rome is the antecedent for the he. Mm -hmm. So just as Titus of Rome came from Rome, the future Antichrist will come from, you know, some this kind of Eurocentric revived yeah. Roman Empire. And he's the one that will force this deal of the century on Israel. And so all of this language about European uh, diplomats uh, saying this is going to be coerced on Israel whether she wants it or not is setting the stage for what's coming. Would Absolutely. you would you not think that? And does it does it is it not putting a psychology in place Absolutely. that will that will pave the way to what God yeah. says for the end, end of the exactly age? What's what would you on. add to that? No, I just think you know funny you know that that expression you used was uh, is one of Trump's uh, <laughs> books or something he wrote. But they they need to quit worrying about Trump. Start thinking about the Antichrist. That's exactly right. And this language of coercion coming from Europe. Here's another article. Uh, this one from the Times of Israel, January 23rd. Uh, if we can just put the title of it up, we won't read through the article. But it says the same thing. Yeah. An EU diplomat says Israel can't have a veto yeah. on the Palestinian state. Imagine that. And here's a third article. Um, this one from JNS.org. January 23rd. And it says the same thing. EU threatens consequences. Yeah. For Israel's opposition to a Palestinian state, and it talks here about how they're circulating this document amongst these European leaders. So yes. it's kind of like, uh, Israel, you're going to get this whether you want it or not. We think the Palestinian state, uh, not only is it prophetically significant for reasons we've tried to explain, we think the whole thing is going to end in disaster. Yeah. Because they have a so-called Palestinian state in Gaza, mm -hmm. the southwestern portion <laughs> yes, of do. the border. That's what Israel gave up. And how well, how, how's that working for you? <laughs> yeah. All they did well. is you, they Islamicized it and used it as a beachhead to attack Israel yep. in horrific terms, what we saw October the 7th. That's exactly well, right. What, what do you think giving up a larger area is going to do? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we're living in some interesting times, Brother Jim. Who are we? Where the world is turning against Israel and the world is being prepared for uh, some sort of deal that will ultimately start the tribulation period. Yes, sir. And I don't mean to be really down on Israel's future because she does have a great future in God, but there's going to be some turbulence before that. Well, that's right. And here's another thing that's happening is Israel is being prepared for a major earthquake. That's true. Uh, this takes us to our, our fourth bullet point, Israel's earthquake. It is predicted in Ezekiel 
38, verses 18 and 19. What does that yeah. say? Ezekiel 38, verses 18 and 19. It will come about on that day when God comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God that my fury will mount up in my anger, in my zeal, and in my blazing wrath. I declare that on that day, there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. So part of the end time scenario is not just an earthquake, but a great earthquake. That's what it says. And it doesn't say in uh, Los Angeles. Mm -mm. It says in the land of Israel. Yeah. Uh, Revelation 11, verse 8. Can you read that real quick? Yes, sir. Revelation 11, 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So it's in context here. This next verse we're going to read, it's in the context of the city of Jerusalem where their Lord was crucified in the last days. Now, In Jerusalem, according to God's word, something major is going to happen, and it's predicted in Revelation 11, verse 13. Revelation 11, 13, And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So God says there's going to be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, in the last days. And I'm here to tell you folks that the uh, topography of Israel as it exists right now is completely and totally prepared for that. Oh, yeah. Um, Here's an article that we've reported on before. Uh, This is a 2018 article. I'm, I'm not going to read through this whole article, but... The title of it, and if we can put it up, it says, After Tremors, Experts Warn a Huge Quake is Mm. the Greatest Threat Facing Israel. The greatest threat facing Israel is not Iran, Mm. according to this article. It's their unpreparedness for a seismic shift, an earthquake. Mm. And so that takes us right up to something hot off the press, Jerusalem Post, January 17th, 2024. This relates to the State Comptroller's Report that just came out in Israel. State Comptroller's Report exposes Israel's risky earthquake unpreparedness. What's going on here? If a large earthquake were to to occur rather in the state of Israel today, the country would not be prepared as per a state comptroller's report released on Monday. Quoting, a strong earthquake in Israel is a matter of time, Engelman wrote. Continuing, the state is still not adequately prepared for an earthquake event. Moreover, 60% of the hospitals are not resistant to earthquakes and only about 5% of educational institutions have been or are being reinforced. The report highlighted that an earthquake could cost the country as much as $50 billion in damage, according to the National Economic Council. And stopping you right there, the rest of the article goes on and says Israelis individually you know, are not at all investing in and preparing for earthquake protection. Right. So... Yeah. I guess what we're trying to say is this world that we're living in, um, the signs are coming to fruition yes. and, it, and it's being set up by the way of stage setting yes, sir. for what God says would indicate would happen in the last days mm-hmm. right down to the 
uh, or earthquake unpreparedness of yeah. Israel. You know? And that be even becoming a topic of discussion. Isn't yeah, that interesting? it's interesting. One other fast topic while we still have time, it relates to apostasy. Um, can we read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4? Yes, sir. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So this is among the great prophecies uh, that are given in the New Testament related to the state of the church in the end of the age. Mm -hmm. The church basically, and I realize that Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church, etc. But the church is going to run off the rails and Christendom as we know it mm -hmm. is going to leave truth. That's what apostasy is that it, that it has acknowledged for 2000 years. Right. And we certainly see this in the area of homosexuality. Um, here is a quick list, the Bible and homosexuality. God loves the sinner, but he hates the, the sin. That's right. And you see God condemning homosexuality in creation in, at Sodom and Gomorrah in the Mosaic Law. Christ reaffirmed uh, uh, heterosexuality. He did. Uh, and the Apostle Paul condemned uh, homosexuality. Mm. In fact, here is a list from the Apostle Paul. I wish we had time to look up all these scriptures, but he three times categorically affirms heterosexuality and yeah. condemns homosexuality. And so what you're seeing now amongst many of the um, big names, uh, people whose books are in most Christians' libraries, uh, they're moving away from the time-honored biblical teaching on homosexuality. Here's a, something we've reported on before back in end of 2022. Amy Grant, famous um, singer within Christianity, uh, was host to a same-sex wedding. Yeah. Uh, Andy Stanley recently held a conference embracing the journey. And he's not talking here about how to minister to homosexuals. What he's talking about is changing the biblical standard. Wow. On the, on the subject of homosexuality, here's another screenshot. Uh, and I say this with a, a lot of sadness because I happen to have a very high opinion of his father, mm -hmm. you know, who yes. is now with the Lord. But it says here, Andy Stanley speaks out from the pulpit after controversial LGBTQ conference. Critics respond, he's... In this area, he's anti-Christian. Mm. And the reason this is controversial is he's not doing a conference on ministering to homosexuals. Yeah. He's doing a conference on changing the biblical standard, Gosh. you know, making homosexuality okay. And down. I guess my issue is if you're going to change the word of God here, what else are you going to change? I mean, to me, this is kind of a litmus test. Sure it uh, is. It, it, you know, if, if you're not going to stand on the authority of God's word here... I mean, what's the next thing to go? The Trinity, the, the deity of well, Christ? everything, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, everything. So the latest casualty uh, in this whole thing is a very famous preacher in evangelicalism named Alistair Begg. And here's an article, if we mm. can put that up. This comes from Owen Strachan's uh, substack, and it says, Unrighteous Wedding Invitations. 
a loving response to Alistair Begg. This is just brand new, January the 18th, 2024. Um, let's, let's read what Alistair Begg actually said. Owen Strachan gives his commentary, but let's pick it up right here so All you right. can get the full context of what Alistair Begg recently said concerning homosexuality, I think, on his own platform. All right, this isn't the context here is that he was speaking uh, to a grandmother and uh, he says this, does your grandson understand you believe in Jesus? Then interrupting you for a second, the grandmother was like, was asking, should I attend a, a my grandson is transgender, should yeah. I attend the meeting? Now watch Alistair yeah. Begg's response to this. All right, does your grandson understand your belief in Jesus? She replies, yes. He says, does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? And the answer is yes. So then it goes on to say, I said, well, this is Alistair Begg now. I said, well, then okay. As long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Okay, stop right there. Go to the ceremony and buy a gift. Mm -hmm. Okay, keep going. And then she replies, oh, what? <laughs> she was caught off guard. Then he continues, it says, well, here's the thing. Your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will, will simply reinforce the fact that they said, these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to countenance anything. And it is a, and it is a fine line, isn't it? It really is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and don't understand that he is a king. With these caveats stated, though, I believe that Begg's counsel is unsound. Now, this is the author of the yeah. article. Christians should not attend transgender ceremonies. And then he goes on to say, the Bible does not enfranchise transgender identity. We are either man or woman per the creation design of God. And then he lists passages from Genesis. He goes on to say, the Bible speaks clearly to attempts to blur the lines of one's God-given sex. It is always wrong. And again, he gives passages there. Continuing, attending a wedding ceremony is commonly and rightly viewed as affirming the union in question. Listen to that again. Attending a wedding ceremony is commonly and rightly viewed as affirming the union in question, as is giving a couple a wedding gift, as Begg encouraged the grandmother in question to do. So Begg, Alistair Begg is saying, if they know your stand, go to the wedding mm -hmm. and buy them a gift. Yeah. Well, Owen Strachan, to me, is stating the obvious. Mm, right. If you go to the wedding and buying a, buy him a gift in the name of love, you know, are you not affirming the ceremony that's taking place? Well, you're there to be a witness. Yes. And what, <laughs> what, what do you do at weddings? Uh, uh, you know, uh, does anybody object? And um, if you don't object and you hold your peace, you are affirming what what is going on here exactly so you're you're affirming something that god says is not a wedding mm -hmm. in fact god calls it an abomination he does and please read that last part if you don't mind. all right going on here connecting the dots of scripture i conclude that we cannot attend transgender ceremonies 
where we not only give approval to a godless identity, but supposedly receive it as a part of marriage. Uh, Collating biblical truths, I believe that we cannot positively engage such an event at all. It is not loving. We remember to endorse sin. It is loving to warn fellow citizens away from it. And then finally, it concludes with this. The church cannot capitulate to the culture. In love, we must take our stand and not give the devil the foothold he so desperately craves. That's a great concluding sentence there. But there's this movement amongst these very visible evangelicals, whether it's Amy Grant, Andy Stanley, now Alistair Begg, to just kind of put a happy face Mm -hmm. on uh, some kind of marriage ceremony that that doesn't reflect the standards of God. And I see this as a movement into apostasy. And the reason this homosexual transgender issue is a big deal is if you compromise here, what else are you going to compromise on? Right. Now, there's been kind of an update on the Alistair Begg situation. Uh, Here's an article from the dissenter. And it says, Alistair Begg doubles down on gay wedding remarks and now has been removed from uh, American Family Radio. Wow. Uh, Rightfully so in in our estimation. Well, that's um, our prophecy update for today. Covered a lot of different issues. Globalism, anti-Semitism, two-state solution. Israel's earthquake and our trajectory into apostasy. Uh, Brother Jim, do you have any good news for us? Well, I was going to say this. If you didn't, if you haven't had anything to pray about, now you do. So, so start praying, right? But, but again, there, there always is good news for those that, that know and love the truth of God. And uh, Titus 2.13 reminds us that we're not looking at the world system for our deliverance and salvation, but we're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. He's the Savior, not yeah. the government. Amen. Not the Antichrist. And so as these signs are materializing, we have the promise that Jesus has given us that he's going to return. Hallelujah. And rescue us from the earth through the rapture before the tribulation period begins. And and people out there that may not know Christ personally, maybe have stumbled onto this channel, um, can change their eternal destiny right now by taking their faith and placing it exclusively in the Savior for their salvation and the safekeeping of their soul. Real fast, by way of conclusion, I would encourage people to go and get our app. Uh, Go to Andy Woods Ministries and you can get all of our new content uploaded regularly on our app, free download. Um, Pastor's Point of View is available in podcast format. Go to where you get your podcast, put Andy Woods Ministries into the search engine, and you can have it that way. I would encourage people to go to our website, andywoodsministries.org, where they can sign up for our show notes on the homepage. So oh, you want those show yeah, notes, too. Everything we produce on the show notes show up on your inbox. Yeah. Um, every time we post a pastor's point of view episode... Right around the corner, Brother Jim, I can't believe it's almost here, is our Sugarland sure Bible is. Church prophecy conference february 23rd and 24th from flood to final days featuring prophetic messages by olivier melnick dr david reagan myself and then russ miller who yes. our youth group went with uh, yeah, the, grand the, uh, the grand canyon trip will be there giving uh you know kind of shoring up the uh, creation side of the of the discussion 
uh, all day conference. We still have room. So, yes. um, go, go to, go to the Sugarland Bible church, um, website and get information on this by the way the schedule and the topics specifically are, are now all out in the form of a schedule so we would encourage people to go there yeah, check it prophecy out. watchers conference is coming up february 29th through march 3rd i'm going to be one of many speakers there go to orlandoprophecysummit.com to get information on that conference coming up in Orlando. Uh, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell people about the Chafer Theological Seminary Conference that's right. coming up March, let's see, 4th through 6th. Randall Price is going to be the featured speaker. Oh boy. Uh, there's going to be other speakers like Dr. Michael Stollard and others. So go to Dean Bible Ministries there at the bottom of the screen to get information on that. And, uh, of course, if you're interested in seminary training, we uh, recommend uh, Chafer Theological Seminary. Go to chafer.edu to get information on that. The spring semester is just starting, so... And also the Stealing the Mind Conference is coming up uh, March the 16th, 2024 in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Look at these speakers, Brother Jim. Billy Crone, Russ Miller, who we just mentioned, yeah. Alex Newman, uh, little old me, I'm one of the speakers, <laughs> Dr. David Reagan, who we just mentioned, and he always has this mystery speaker, and I always have to oh. wait till the last minute to find out who the mystery speaker is. Guess who the mystery speaker is? Mike Lindell. Oh, I was going to say, it's not me. No. <laughs> Mike Lindell. Mike All Lindell. Right. And so that's going to be a great conference, so I'd encourage people to investigate that. I'm out of gas, Brother Jim. Uh, <laughs> we want to thank you for watching Pastor's Point of View. And we'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless.